Tom James. I think it started like five seconds before we said hello. I know, but I like cut out the first few seconds. Uh, I've ruined it now, haven't I? You have, but we're going to press on. We're pop culture whores. Yay! Gay <laughs> titties. <laughs> Todd could not be with us today. Because, um... He has to, you know, for work and also um, next weekend, I think his whole family is doing that trip to see Taken 2. Taken 2. Yeah. Dooley and Mason doing what he does best, kicking ass and taking names. He shoots people. <laughs> and speaking of shoots people, this allows me to awkwardly segue into... That we, uh, like, yeah, between the two of us, three movies were seen this weekend. Yes. I saw Dread. I saw Looper, but we're going to do Dread first, because that was what was seen first. And this, and we both saw The Master. Yeah, we're going to talk about that last. Okay, so, Dread. For those of you who don't know, um, I don't know what you're doing here, but Dread is an action <laughs> movie starring Carl Urban, who would really like you to forget that he was in anything other than Lord of the Rings. Oh, uh, what about Red? Red wasn't okay, that Red bad. Okay, Red wasn't that bad. He's also in Doom. Exactly. Um, he plays... Is he Star Trek? Yes, yes he was, and he wasn't bad in Star Trek, you're right. It's, oh, it's Star Trek had the stink of J.J. Abrams on it. It yeah. did, but he was very good in it. Anyway, we're back to Dread, back to Dread. <laughs> it's based on an old comic series um, about, you know, basically, quick version, world's gone to shit, world needs policing, there are these dudes called judges, they will shoot you. They, like, they, they are the law. Yeah, and uh, a few of you who are a little bit older may remember the Sylvester Stallone version, which featured the great, you betrayed the law! Yes, it's... Law! Um, it's... There was a Stallone version. It usually comes up on, like, worst of all times list. Oh, uh, really? I've I... seen people put it... It's really oh, not. Come on. It's Okay, it has Rob Schneider, but... It's not... It's campy, it's fun, and I think... I mean, it takes itself too seriously, but that's what makes the movie so bad. It's, it's, it's not, like... It's definitely not as bad as some other 90s bat superhero adaptations, big examples being Steel and Batman and Robin. But it's bad. That's all you need to know. This yeah. one, um, it has Carl Urban. There's Le um, Lena Headey. Lena Headey, who plays Cersei in Game Sasha, of Thrones. Sasha. Thank you. Listen to me. Thank you, Liz. Um, plays the villain. There's some girl I've never heard of as um, Judge Anderson. Basically, here's the plot. Um, Carl Urban is trapped in a building. He's going to shoot everyone. Bye. The whole thing. So it's like the Raid Redemption, only with judges. Yes, and, and you know what? For what it is, like just pure, this is what it is. It's I can I can rock it. It's he he shoots a lot of people. There's yeah. some really good set pieces. Um, I fact, again, like I have heard, I saw that on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's getting like eighty percent. Yeah, it's it's definitely like a good. It's kind of silly, but it like it gets the thing that a lot of people who read the comics don't get, is that it's the comic was kidding. Um, like, it's joking about this. But, you know, both I Am the Law and You Betrayed the Law both get a workout. Yay! Um, what else? I guess that's really it. You know, he there's some really good use of, like, all the different things he has. He does, you know, there's a couple of really good um, set-piece moments about this, like, drug that slows everything down. Like, really, really down. It's gory as hell, which really helps. Wait, wait, a drug that slows everything down? So it's a Zack Sander drug? Yes. <laughs> Except it keeps it slowed down, so it doesn't speed up again when everything's coolest. Which, as you can imagine, gets kind of gory when, um, she's over on the other side of the room, in case you can't Sorry, hear Sorry, I'm okay, I'm cooking pizza, and my stove needs to be clean, and, uh, it's <laughs> curly burning things. In case you didn't catch that, her stove needs to be clean, and we're getting smoke. So we're all going to die, but... No, we're not. That will not stop our podcasting. Nothing will. Nothing stops me from talking about movies. You not know, I, I really don't... 
I, I have a review up of it. I'm really not, you know, it's really not a movie that's like, takes a lot of examination and picking apart. It's like, here's Carl Urban. He's going to shoot everyone in the world. Well, yeah, I, I, I wanted to do well. I would like to see more of Judge Carl. Um, well, I know you would like to see more of Judge Carl. I, I am quite attracted to Carl Urban. I'm not afraid of, I'm not ashamed of that. I like Carl Urban, but he's not one of those. It's, it's not the way I'm attracted to like Thor or Tom Hardy, where it's like, oh God, anytime, any place. Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't say he's like quite on the level of some other guys I know, but he's he's a good-looking guy. He's a solid action hero. He is a towering physical presence in the movie. Like he's huge. Well, how how tall is he in real life? Actually, I don't know. He's got to be at least six six feet. He used to like stand over Viggo Mortensen in Lord of the Rings. And that and that wasn't an effect used by the movie. I assume not. You know, why would you bother? Um, aside from that, there's not a whole lot to say. Liz. Looper. Well, I don't know. I kind of do want to see Dread because I saw that one shot of Lena Headey rocking a badass scar and a punky hair. She bites a like, dude's dick off at one point. Woman after my own heart. Yeah, that happens. Yes. I'm sorry. You men have had it too good for too long. We really have. We really have. But don't bite our dick offs. It's off. Well, okay. No, no, no. I, I think it's to be saved for something where it's like, you know, uh, I spit on your grave where it's like, you're a rapist. You don't need a dick. Yeah. You don't deserve one. Or Michael Bay, just because Michael Bay fucking sucks. Um, and so does Zack Snyder. He's becoming like Michael Bay Jr., and it's like, God damn it. <laughs> yep, you were right. Carl Urban, 6-1. Wow. He's... Handy dandy computer. And the, the armor really just, like, bulks him up. Like, he looks like you know freaking what? Hulk. This one picture? I'm kind of seeing it. Yeah. He wasn't freaking Xena? Oh, my God. That's really disconcerting. No, that is that means he is more awesome than I ever thought he could be. And he was in Pathfinder. We won't hold that against him. Yeah, but uh, I'm like Pathfinder. I'm sorry. That's that's the same noise Todd makes when he talks about you know fucking Green Lantern movie. <laughs> well, I really like Vikings and movies. Like one of my one of my favorite um, Kurt Russell movies that isn't Spartacus. Um, or is it Kurt Douglas? Spartacus is Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas. My favorite Kirk Douglas movie that isn't Spartacus is um, it's a movie called The Vikings. And, you know, Kirk Douglas is a Viking. <laughs> you want more? I don't. It's, but, but, yeah, you, you talk about Looper now. Yeah, Looper is something that does take a little bit more brain work. It is time travel. So that immediately... That immediately... Like, whenever time travel comes up, I can only speak for me, but I, I mean... I get the basics of time travel. I know there's different theories of how time travel could work, and I do. It works try like to, in time cop. Yeah, I try to understand it as much as possible. And this one, it actually does. Um, there is a point in the movie, like, don't talk about that time travel shit, and it doesn't. I mean, it's up to you to sort of. I mean, the way I pieced it together, it does make sense, and I do like how it takes the idea of like there are ne there isn't a necessarily full through way to change the future. You some way sometimes things will happen. They'll just happen a little bit differently, but the end result will be the same. Um, again, since you haven't seen it and you want to, and this movie, I, I do mean, want to see it. I don't want to spoil this movie. It's, it's like I, really good I did not want to spoil Paranorman because I'm like this movie needs to be seen. I think between this, Prometheus, whatever you think about it, and Chronicle, I love that science fiction and has, Robot and Frank. Robot and well, Robot and Frank was still an indie release, but I'm saying that these three movies have been getting their mainstream science fiction slash speculative fiction films 
that have been getting mainstream releases. They aren't just for the art house cinema or for five theaters throughout America like they Boom. like they shafted Moon and attacked the block with. So I'm very glad that they're getting mainstream release. So I really want everyone to go see it. Oh. So I'm not gonna spoil. Just just to uh Yeah. Just to say this, everyone needs to go see Moon. Like Ever well today. Rent Moon. No, we can't, they can't go see it. No, no, days. like, go hire a theater to put it back in the theaters and watch it. Well, I, I, as much as I'd like to, I don't <laughs> know how many theaters would do that right now. I'm pretty sure they need other films. Um, well, then find a way to watch Moon. I don't know if it's on Netflix. But... Netflix it, um... Rent it. Don't torrent it. Pay, pay them, pay oh, them pay, or, or, as I will always say, go to your local library. Rent it for free. Your tax dollars pay for it anyway. Yes. So now we go into the movie we both saw. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not done talking about Looper. Oh, she's not done talking about <laughs> I'm Looper? I'm not done talking about Looper. I actually, um, it takes place in 2044. The basic plotline is time travel has not yet been invented yet in 2044. Yet 30 years in the future, it has been invented. And the only people who use it, it's quickly outlawed. The only people who use it are crime syndicates. And the way they pull off hits is they will hire people from 2044 to kill people. They will send their hits back 30 years in time the people from 2044 will kill the person and dispose of the body. So it's not found in the future. And, I mean, as you can tell by the previews, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character meets his Luke. Um, so, which is him 30 well, years that in the is future. The, that is the, uh, that is the, the logical extension of that idea. Yeah. So, and it's actually um, something that the, the trailers won't tell you is that this isn't an uncommon occurrence. People will close their loops all the time. Yeah, that makes and sense. And then they got 30 years to live until they're closed. Um, because it, it's almost accepted that this will happen at some point because the crime syndicates don't want to get caught. So it's essentially, you closed your loop, here's a ton of money, go live 30 years, we'll see you in 30, and you know, you're going to be sent back to die. And actually, uh, Paul Dano's character has another moment where he meets his loop. And again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but... It leads to one of the creepiest, it, it's one of the best and most nightmare fuel-inducing scenes I have seen in cinema in a very long time. It, in terms of this year, the only scene that rivals that is the surgery scene from Prometheus. And that's yeah. just because I'm like, ah, surgery. But this one is just, I'm you, always... you, you spend so much time, you, you kind of think about what's happening, and you're just like, oh, God. Once you realize what they are doing, and how they're carrying it out and what it means for the certain someone is being done to. Oh God, it just, you can't get it out of your head. And also there's a very good performance by Emily Blunt too. Um, I mean, I liked her also in the adjustment bureau. She's shown that she can be a good straight character and a good dramatic actress. She's also really funny. If you've ever seen um, Devil Wears Prada, which is her big American role, she's very funny in that. I have not. Well, you should. I will never do um, I've always felt that, you know, sci-fi films and time travel films that don't really, like, you are ill-served by, like, thinking too much about how the mechanics work in your time travel movie. Yeah. Well, and that's the I mean, when people keep going, I need to make sense out of this, I'm like, well... It works because we say it does. It's exactly. I'm like, time travel is speculative. So the, there's numerous ways where it can work. I mean, there are some ways where it's just like, well, that's just retarded. But, um... You know. Time travel. Yeah. Uh, I would say... It's, it's powered by... I almost um, said timeline, but I'm like, you know, Michael Crichton at least has good ideas. And it, was, it was powered by Van Damme's ass. Yeah. 
Um, but no, it's, um, the, you know, her character's good telekinesis also comes into play. And again, this isn't a spoiler. This is something that's established five minutes into the film. Yeah. But the thing I liked the most about it was not just, you know, the story is great. Um, there is a lot of black and gray morality in this. So you, you kind of, every you see this every side of the argument for these people. And you kind of agree with them, even though you're like, I kind of don't want to for some things. But um, the way they have the future isn't this, um, you know, big metropolis. It's more of a hollowed out city that's got a couple of solar panels and it's been, you know, you know, revamped a bit, but not by much, which is probably how the future would look. Yeah. So, I mean, think of the way the future was portrayed back in the 50s and 60s. We had the Jetsons. I think we now, <laughs> I think now that we watch the Jetsons and realize, that, oh, it's 2012 and we don't have hover cars, we're a bit more realistic. Where did the Jetsons take place? I don't know, but still, we're more realistic about our future. So I think now, whenever we make speculative <laughs> fiction, we, we think of, like, what would it realistically look like and again that's why i like to cure too where i'm like you know that looks like how future tokyo would look where it wouldn't be this fantastical thing with flying cars and shit it would just be like a normal city that's kind of up to bit technology wise well, not, not to not to beat my favorite movie into the ground but um i, I i'm i'm a huge fan of blade runner's interpretation of the future that too. It, but that, i like how they have the flying cars but like only the cops use yep. them and, how and that's, like, that's another thing in this movie where there is a there is an underclass where it's just people have a lot of money who have access to stuff, but you really you really get the feeling that there's some nice things in this world, but it's not for everybody. Yeah, we can't have nice things. Now, what I'd like to know is how on earth Joseph Gordon-Levitt is going to age into Bruce Willis. Well, I, and this is actually, um, you know how if you listen to our summer movie recap, Todd talked about how the worst aging makeup in the world was done to Guy Pearce and Prometheus. This was done in more of a reverse aging where they did prosthetics for Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And, I mean, granted, I don't see him in 30 years becoming Bruce Willis. <laughs> but, you know what? They did a good job. I could kind of see it. And at one point, um, if you love The Fifth, fifth Element, at one point, Bruce Willis kind of sports the same hair Gary Oldman had in that movie. Oh, my God. It's... Gary Oldman's hair in The Fifth Element. And, uh, unfortunately, I really don't want to say anymore. There was a great scene involving telekinesis, which you will know when you see it. Uh, but so much to this movie would be spoiling, and I don't want to spoil. Sorry, pizza's up. That's, so, go see I, this movie. I'm going to pause the recording there so we can get our pizza. Yeah. And we're back. Hello. So, right now, we're going to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson's latest film, The Master. Um, you have the advantage of having seen it twice. I saw it about an hour. Um, and truth be told, I'm still, I mean, I loved what I saw, but I am still thinking about it. And I'm probably going to be thinking about it for a while. Um, it's, it is a very, very strange film. Um, but um, I, I, it's one of those things where I think it got a lot of hype pre-release because, it's, because the cult in it is it's, very, very clearly modeled on Scientology. Yeah. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, go fucking fix that. But just so you know, it's about um, this really, really fucked up soldier from post traumatic stress is something that I mean, it's implied that he spoke he is uh, PTSD, but 
watching him, you want, I, I think these are problems that were there previous to the war. Yeah, he's not, he's not an emotionally healthy person, and the war didn't help. And so he's just wandering the country looking for work, and he winds up coming across not L. Ron Hubbard, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is starting a, a cult called Not Scientology, rather The Cause. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most people expect it to be this big, you know, takedown piece on Scientology, which admittedly probably be a slam dunk. It's, it pretty much... Right. Well, actually, it, it wouldn't be a slam dunk because anyone who's read anything about Scientology knows they will go out of their way to kill you. They will get whacked. Um, uh, no, yeah, no, people, I, I'm not fucking lying. People have legit died under Scientology. Yeah. There are people who have disappeared and never come back. Yeah. And also, Hollywood has a lot of Scientologists in it, so it actually wouldn't be a good idea. There's a good chance that if it were really a take down Scientology, it probably wouldn't have been made. Well, yes, but... um. I feel that on a quality level, it would be slam dunk. I mean, a, yeah. a takedown piece of Scientology pretty much writes itself, even more than a takedown piece of um, Mormons does. Incidentally, go see September Dawn. Oh, what's that about? Um, this big massacre of the Mormons did back in, like, Frontier Days. Wow. It's a good movie. Anyway, um... Anytime Mormons don't exist, it's a good thing. Well, yes. It was like a, it was like a revenge massacre for getting kicked out of some such town. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. We're not talking about September Dawn. But actually, you know, Scientology is in there, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, who, like... I mean, he, he, there, there's one point in the prison where he says, like, this has been around for trillions of years, these were putting you, and that's very clearly modeled after the origin story and for Scientology. the levels and all that shit. Um, but, you know, yeah, it, well, yeah, and well, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is, like, Paul Giamatti, just good in everything. He is, and he is actually one of the few actors where... I mean, he really does. He actually, everyone in this movie disappears into their role, and it's fantastic. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson is never one to select bad actors, and he—I don't think he's ever made a bad movie. I think that's—I actually—I would actually say that he. Well, he's some of those people who hasn't made many, and that's why he hasn't made a bad movie because yeah. he 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 doesn't just select his projects; he pretty much creates them. Yeah, says this is what I want to make. I was actually. Uh, Todd, who's unfortunately not here, we were having a discussion of who really qualifies as an auteur nowadays, because um, if you ever read uh, Todd's blog, Heckling from the Third Row, he did a, he did sure? a review of uh, Heaven's Gate, and that movie is heavily credited slash blamed for the end of the auteur period, because it ended the period where directors could do what they wanted with their screens. That started more producer and studio interference with the film. And so we're like, you know, the auteur era really ended with Michael Samina's Heaven's Gate. <laughs> oh, man. But, I mean, it's, it's, but it's started to come back now because independent cin cinema has, is being nurtured a lot more. We're like, who qualifies an auteur? And Paul Thomas Anderson and the Coen brothers were the first two people I thought of. Well, yeah. but Paul Thomas Anderson, especially because, I mean, well, actually, no. I think they're both, on, he and the Coens are both on equal level. I mean, the years both of them were nominated for Best Director. I mean, there's like one of those. Well, you can't pick a bad choice. I know you really can't, but well, for me, no country. You know, you know, Juno but... is cute, but my God, Jason Reitman is one of like he is a good. He's Alexander B... Payne White. Yeah, he's a good, solid B B minus director, but he, it's like with Tom Hooper in the King's Speech. Oh wow, you cast a lot of really capable actors to cover up for the fact that you blandly cut from scene to scene. And so no show no vision in, uh, is possible. The fact that he has an Oscar for Best Director 
Makes her very unhappy. <laughs> no, it makes me unhappy because you look at the people who don't. David Fincher, Mira Nair, um, David, fucking Paul, Paul Thomas Anderson Paul does Thomas not Anderson, have David an Oscar. David David yeah. Lynch. I know, they don't have Oscars for directing, but this fucking, you know, the, limey fuck who directs with the equivalent <laughs> of a TV movie with very good actors... It, I know the Oscars politics, but Jesus Christ, there's a line where it gets to the point. It's like when Sandra Bullock won Best, Best Actress. Actress. I'm like, you know what? There's a line. I'm willing to suspend disbelief for some shit, but my God, what the fuck are we thinking? That was that was fairly bad. But that was like we have Gabri Sabide here, we have Meryl Streep here, we have Helen Mirren. Sandra fucking Bullock shouldn't even be here. Get out. Okay. I know. Leave. I don't care if you're cute and nice and your husband was a Nazi. Get out. My husband was a Nazi. Jesse James is, like, really weird. <laughs> anyway, um, since we've now gone off, like, a two-minute tangent on the Oscars, I actually think that um, of the people in or the master likely to win an Oscar out of it, I, I have to say Joaquin Phoenix. I, I definitely think it. Joaquin Phoenix's role, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman, as we mentioned, he's great in everything, and his role is one where... He has he has to have grandiosity to him. He has to have a presence, and that's very easy for Philip Seymour Hoffman. These are and these are in with Joaquin Phoenix's role. He's someone who's so emotionally unstable. There's a point in the movie where he's like just walking in here, heavy breathing, like he's angry. And usually, the only people who go like <gasps> all the time, people who are not emotionally healthy. He's, you know, he he walks with this hunch where you he he. It's like, I don't know if that was Paul Thomas Anderson's choice or, or Joaquin's choice, but clearly, like, you know, his posture shows just this mix of anger and insecurity. I mean, but this is a role where it so easily could have been a caricature, where I think with a lot of other actors, it would have been just an, I'm acting, I'm angry. But Joaquin Phoenix brings... It's a dignity to it, and funny I'm saying dignity after what I just did, but... Well, it's one of those things where, um, I think it was a very brave decision to base so much of your movie around a character who is so, so thoroughly just unlikable. Yeah. It's like a disgusting... Like, literally, the opening line and ending line of the movie are him saying something vulgar. Yep. Um, but there's also, you know, he can be... Half the time, he's actively frightening... And the other half, he makes, he's, like, kind I, of pathetic. How did I say when I watched him? Like, he makes me uncomfortable watching yeah. him. Yeah, like, there's this part where he's, like, I don't want to spoil it, what happens, is you should definitely see it, but there's a part where he's, like, um, has his handcuffed behind him, and he's just so angry, he's, like, literally just, like, flipping out and kicking everything he can he's get. He's kicking everything he can, he's, like, bashing himself against a wall, or, like, he does it a lot, like, he'll hit himself, it's... He'll hit walls. It, it's scary. It is scary to watch him, and I... It's one of those things where, like, you know, he'll, I mean, when he yells, I jump. Granted, there's a few moments where, uh, there's one moment where Philip Seymour Hoffman does raise his voice, and it is like, oh, God. Because it's in the middle of a very calm discussion. I know. What I like about his character, (laughs) aside from this whole, like, subtext that his followers, and especially his wife, played by Amy Adams, believe his shit a lot more than he does, is he's got this very, like, Dignified, dignified, dignified. That occasionally, like cracks. Yeah. Um. Very, very slightly, and you see it for a moment, mm-hmm. and it's very, it's very well done. Um. What what I, what I was thinking about on my second watch there is that uh, all of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies have like a big, big, big discussion 
moment that I, I think yeah. that everyone discusses. You know, the big, obvious, biggest one is the I drink your milkshake scene. From there will be blood. Which, which isn't, of, it isn't even my favorite scene. Of the, the best scene in the movie is just, well, it is in the same scene, but just pretty, I mean, I'm sorry, there will be blood has been out for five years. You should have said Everyone should have seen When it. he just wails on Paul Dano's head with that rolling head and it just I, goes, I'm finished. I'm like, whoa. What, what I love about the, um, Drinking your milkshake scene is that out of context, it's kind of like what the hell funny, but in context, it's actively just like what terrifying. The hell, man? But um, you know, we also have like the ending to Magnolia, which is completely yeah. insanity. There's that sequence in Boogie Nights with the uh, the porno guy who like it, I I don't recall what the sit- setup was, but he's got like little Asian kids throwing firecrackers, yes. and he's got like. <laughs> All these mixtapes on in the background, he like starts starting to shoot himself. I don't recall why, <laughs> but it's just like. But I don't think this movie really has a moment like that. And um, I, I don't know. I think if there is a moment, it would be the first processing slash, uh, you know, code word for auditing scene <laughs> between um, Paul Thomas Anderson and um, not Paul Thomas Anderson. My God, Walking Phoenix Hoffman and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Exactly. Also, oh, this is another thing I found interesting when people talk. I rarely see, or at least whenever Joaquin Phoenix is talking to someone, or at least when he's talking to Amy Adams' character or Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, he's never in the same frame as them. It is always a back and forth, and Paul Thomas Anderson has, he does that a lot, and it will depend on the character, and it will depend on the content, but I always love that he does that. Paul, he is a director where everything he, he doesn't fall into a shot, everything he does is deliberate. Yeah, he's very and meticulous. And it, it shows. There's such an effort behind it, but yeah. I, I, I think that the fact that he's never in the same sh- walking through here is never in the same shot as the person he's talking to. It well, adds, he, it's, it's such, it adds more dimension to his character and how yeah. alienated. Almost, unless they're like wide shots, but yeah, I understand exactly. what you're talking about. But um, I, I think this is probably not going to be in terms of his other movies. I don't think it's going to be as popular as. There will be blood. Well, there will be blood. Boogie was, Nights it, or Punch Drunk Love. Okay, well, Punch Drunk Love and Boogie Nights were the most mainstream, if you can call them that, of his films. Yeah. Uh, there will be blood. <laughs> it became internet meme fuel. I'm sorry. And it was, and it was a big hit because everyone was like, oh my god, this movie is incredible. Like, and Daniel everyone. Day-Lewis. You need to see it for Daniel Day-Lewis, which is kind of weird. I'm kind of, I don't know, like, Daniel day just go on another tangent? I know, we never do that ever, but... but we never got... We, Liz, we have to stick to the script. I can't pretend we have a script. Oh, <laughs> I can't pretend we but have a script. I, I'm, I'm kind, I know you like Steven Spielberg, but I feel that him doing Lincoln is such an obvious choice for all of them in terms of Oscar bait. And I, I mean, like, I know you think, I mean, I'm hoping Joaquin or Philip Seymour Hoffman, someone pulls a win, but I don't think it will because, like, we have Daniel Lewis playing Abraham Lincoln. I, I don't think, you know, literally the last movie he made, except for Nine, which doesn't count, was There We Blood. Um, uh, was There Will Be Blood. Um, so I, I don't think they're going to want to give it to, you know, it's one of those things where unless you're Meryl Streep, they, you really have to work very hard to get a second Oscar. Like, and Steven Spielberg has already gotten a Best Director Oscar twice. So I don't think that's going to happen. I think it'll come out, I think it'll be critically acclaimed, he'll get a great effort, um, nod. But there, I think there's too much, um, competition from, I think Joaquin's too much of, like, Holy shit! This guy can act. Performance. Yeah. Well, and again, it's it's something that very easily could have been. He took he took risks with that role, and he actually did a lot of choice. He, 
he did stuff that was a lot more, he added a lot of subtle nuances to his face, his expressions, the posture, rather than just going for the all-out scenery chewing, I'm acting that. I think a lot of other actors would do. It it is, and it's a very, it's it's probably, it's easily the best performance of his occasionally dubious career. You know, I'm actually starting to wonder, remember when he did that whole going crazy thing? How long was the master in the making? Because that's something that he was preparing for way back when. I I honestly wonder now. Wait, let me... 2009, Anderson was working on a script. Um, I'm reading Wikipedia right now. When was Walking Phoenix's big craziness? 2009 or 2010? Do you think this was just like, it was like building... There was method acting. Yeah, I'm kind. I'm kind of wondering. That'd be quite alarming. Um, what else do I want to say about it? Um, I don't know. I think it's a big. I, I think it's. A what did you think on the second viewing? I think it's it's one of those movies that rewards second viewings. Yeah. Like, I I think all movies, even bad ones, um, yeah. reward second viewings unless they're Twilight. Um, because um, you know, I can concentrate more on why. Like, there's a couple of like really long shots. Mm-hmm. Um, personal favorite is one near the beginning where he's essentially, like, assaulting this guy while taking his picture, and oh, it doesn't yeah. cut away the entire time. It's so, again, another scene where you're just like, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I, I like watching it. I, I think I can It is, get... like, this, this is the movie where I would want to see on Blu-ray, because just the, the cinematography of all Paul Thomas Anderson's film, but the cinematographer there will be blood. I had the chance to see that on Blu-ray on a high-def TV, and I was just in heaven just looking at it. I'm like, this is gorgeous. I, I, I this can, is going to be the same way, I'm assuming. I can understand the, uh, the, like, the character dynamics, how, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman initially sort of, like, gets this, like, oh, maybe I can help this guy feeling, yeah. and by the end he's sort of like, I really hope he doesn't get trapped in this like I am. I, I can get the, um the character setup and the dynamic. As I said, I have this theory that in context of, if you assume Joaquin Phoenix is the hero, which he, he sort of is, isn't, but we're going to skip over that. Anti-hero. Um, that Amy Adams' character is kind of like the villain. Oh, that's another thing I want to do. Um, Amy Adams, I mean, apparently Reese Witherspoon, and I'm sorry, Reese Witherspoon has peaked at election for me. Yeah. But um, I cannot see her doing this role. Amy Adams, he, people... Had to think Amy Adams is just this cute, bubbly girl because she. I mean, like you know, we have her in Enchanted, or <laughs> you know, we have she's the innocent one in Doubt, but she really is a very a, a powerful actress, and it shows in this movie. She, I think, had the hardest job because she didn't have any big scenes. She had to essentially be. I mean, her character was the the true believer. But you also see her as the film goes on. She is the power behind the man. Yeah, she is. There, there's a uh, a great scene, which is the best dynamic scene between her and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Is so where she's just like jerking him off, yes, chastising him at the same time. It's and then at the end of the movie where she just you know she tears down Joaquin Phoenix. Not in she just sits there and quietly just says, you know, you don't want. Mm-hmm. You're not changing, and you're not going to change. And then leaves. And it's 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 got such an impact, though, both to the audience and to Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, and probably to Joaquin Phoenix's character. But even though we said most of the movie with Joaquin Phoenix's character, we really don't quite know what's going on in his head, and I like well, that. I, I do like the occasional mm-hmm. moment where we see um, these, uh, these, like, 
images of what's going on in his head, mm-hmm. which I don't want to spoil because they, they come out of essentially nowhere. Um, but at the same time, we, it doesn't offer us it doesn't offer us answers, which in the end I like. I don't think every film is supposed to give you the answer. The answer, and I mean, again, how I said earlier, this is a film I'm going to have to think about for a few days. I don't consider that to be a drawback to the film. Um, I was listening to the Doug Love Movies podcast, and um, you know, someone was saying like, oh, "I'm gonna have to," you know, someone was like, "I don't know, I don't know what I thought about it." It didn't say anything, and Doug Benson, he's like, "Yeah, but I like that because I'm gonna have to think about it." Yeah, definitely. I mean, although Leonard Maltin, I I go back and forth on him as a critic, but he said like, I think some people are bullied into liking it, and I'm like, you know. I'm sorry if you if you didn't like a movie. I mean, no one should be bullied into liking this, but it's definitely a movie that you should be bullied into seeing, at least, because I think, you know, expand your brain a bit. Give yeah. your brain a workout when you watch a movie. I mean, I, look, I would like to see, you know, I'd probably go see Pitch Perfect, but, uh-huh. I mean, dear God, I want something that will also make me think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Pitch Perfect. <laughs> but no, I really can't recommend this enough. I, I I'm sorry, my thoughts probably sound very erratic and across the board, but Again, it's really this is a, that's a huge shock to me. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> but I, it's more this movie is it's kind of like Beasts of the Southern Wild. I didn't have to think about that one as much, but I initially I'm like, okay, it's a film that's it's about grief. Yes. But it kind of got me as I was talking about it. This one, and I felt that way about There Will Be Blood in Magnolia too. I'm, I, I need a few days to process and think about it. And considering I hate my job pretty much, that's all I'll be doing. I'll just be thinking about, <laughs> Liz, why aren't you answering the phone? I'm thinking about the master. I did that for a couple of days at work about um, Moonrise. But, yeah, um, I, I think it's easily going to be one of the best movies of the year. I think yeah. PGA... I, I, it would be great if it just swept the Oscars. I'm like, oh, finally, a deserving thing sweet. Although, I like the artist. They're, they're, um, what's it called? Uh, no Country swept, pretty much. Yeah, that was the last time Everything Right won. Yeah. Actually, no. Not Everything Right won in 2007, because we still have the glaring um, injustice that was Persepolis not winning Best Animated Feature... Winning best everything because that movie was fucking awesome. Well, I, look, uh, <laughs> best everything because that movie was fucking awesome. I, I agree with you, but let's face it: unless it's Pixar or Disney, they're not going to nominate hey, it. Hey, Pixar didn't. Pixar's movie this year didn't do too well. So, what was their movie this year? Exactly. Oh no! Wait, no, Brave. Brave is going to get nominated, and it's it going to get nominated. It's going to. It kills me. It's probably going to win when Paranorman should win. <laughs> I would like oh, to see Pixar lose occasionally. I do like seeing Pixar. Well, honestly, we, this could be another podcast, but I don't think Pixar's all that great. I think they've had some great movies, and they definitely do treat their audience with a lot more respect, but I find their films to be very but, uneven. Uh, I, I will say, again, like, uh, this is easily one of the best movies of the year. Definitely. Um, or it's you could go see Paul W.S. Anderson's movie. No! <laughs> I love watching Milojanovic shoot shit, but Jesus, I have my limits. Or, but it, it's, it, it's easily one of the best movies of the year. You should. De- it's probably like my top two or three. You should mm-hmm. definitely go see it. Yeah, and go see Looper. And actually, you know, before we go, um, the next time you're going to hear from us, you're going to hear from us at Comic-Con. We'll be getting a Comic-Con recap, and maybe... Woo! Oh my god, Carrie Fish is going to be there. I'm going to be Princess Leia, and I'm going to tell her about how my mom used to put my hair in Leia buns when I had long hair. I'm going to defy all expectations, and I've resigned my copies. Sign my copy of the Blues Brothers. Oh, I, I would do that, but I have a Star Wars poster that I eventually want to have everyone sign. So, goddammit, I'm collecting. 
Okay, fair enough. It's, uh, Princess Leia was my hero as much as a child, so fuck it. I know she's probably heard it from everybody, but she's gonna Jim or John Belushi's in the Blues Brothers? It was John, right? Yes, Jim Belushi is terrible. I know, I was, I was just saying. Don't you dare oh. confuse the two. My, my, my favorite story about the Blues Brothers is that while doing it, while doing Return of the Jedi, Carrie Fisher was completely high on coke. I know. And John Belushi told her, you're doing too much cocaine. When John Belushi says... You're doing too much cocaine, <laughs> you've got problems. And I think with that... Um, um, on the cocaine note, I think we're done. Bye-bye. I'm James. I'm Liz. We're still pop culture horse. Todd will be here next time. He will.